Welcome to Common Ground Berlin, a podcast tackling hot-button topics in the German capital and beyond. I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson. Today we're going to discuss an ugly chapter in German history, one that many Germans don't like to talk about. It's not the Third Reich, although the Nazis were heavily influenced by the four-decade period in question, namely Germany's colonial era. Painful effects from that period, which ended more than a century ago, linger not only across Africa, but in Germany, including in its federal and state governments, its museums, and people's attitudes. Today you'll hear from three Germans with differing viewpoints about their country's colonial past, the problems it created, and what should be done about them. First is Nadia Ofuete Alazard, a cultural activist and curator who is CEO and artistic director at Each One Teach One, a community-based education and empowerment project in Berlin. As a black woman born and raised in Germany, she has spent her life trying to right the wrongs of its colonial past. Anti-black racism wasn't a thing when I was a kid, so I didn't have vocabulary for that. And so it was really an evolution that brought me through my studies. Um, I studied communication science and journalism in Munich, then taking me to the U.S. I lived and worked and studied in New York City, got a degree in video and film, really was working in the context of black activism there as well as black uh, artistic practice and then ultimately returning to Europe and to Germany and uh, then really getting involved uh, first via PR, but then uh, via academic work and curation and then starting to publish text, make films and curate events. And uh, ultimately it became very clear that the denial around the German colonial history was linked to anti-black racism and exploring those links and uh, providing formats of empowerment and researching in this realm ultimately became the focus of my work, yeah. In my interview with uh, MP Helge Lindt, he mentioned that some Germans wrongly argue that their country's colonial past isn't as bad as some others. For example, Great Britain and Belgium. Do you agree with that assessment? I mean, is this uh, something that people argue here and what do you think about that? Well, ultimately, in Germany, uh, the discourse around colonial history was we didn't, the others worse. However, it's impossible to ultimately uh, quantify colonial crimes. I, I don't really see the point either of why you would have to compare. It became very clear in the German context that the argument that uh, German colonial history was rather brief by comparison that doesn't hold, that they were not really involved or thoroughly interested, that argument didn't hold. Uh, ultimately, we know that Chancellor Otto von Bismarck was actually the host of um, the Berlin Conference in 1884-85, so there was a sound uh, involvement of the Germans in this endeavor. Same goes with the history of the transatlantic enslavement trade. The precursors of uh, what is today Germany were also heavily involved in that. So obviously the history of the enslavement trade is the prehistory to colonialism. So a denial didn't help. Um, it has become quite evident, especially uh, looking at the examples of uh, Maji Maji in Tanzania, as well as what the Germans did uh, in what is today uh, Namibia, producing the first genocide of the 20th century, that uh, German involvement was heavy and needs to be researched uh, thoroughly. However, it needs to also be put into relationship with the histories of the other European colonial powers, because there were quite a few synergies as well. But for sure, there was the same mindset. When we talk about stolen African culture and art, how does Germany rank against other countries? I mean, it's something that we've seen among many colonial or former colonial powers. But I'm just wondering, does Germany have more of it? Has it been more inclined to return it? Okay, so we don't even know the exact numbers of what Germany holds in various institutions, depots and archives, basements, private collections. We are not only talking about art objects or sacred objects, but we are talking about uh, human remains, for example. So we are now touching the tip of the iceberg. I must say equally, I don't know what Great Britain is holding, 
Britain is also very much in denial and is still sort of glorifying empire and still holding on to that uh, nostalgia. And they're not quite ready for restitution last. I know I know some smaller museums have started the conversation and uh, maybe even acted on it. France, um, the president a couple of years ago announced that uh, France would restitute in large numbers if there were requests from um the former you know, French colonies on the African continent and beyond. Uh, however, France has not restituted much. Now, Germany uh, has started under the new uh, red-green government to restitute at least the Benin bronze, who are very symbolic. However, those were not artifacts uh, gotten in the context of German colonialism, as we know, and it was very overt, it was very clear um, what the British did in what is today a Benin state in Nigeria was uh, highly violent and it really constituted robbery. So it w became clear and so Germany ultimately restituted um, some larger numbers of Benin bronze. But as I said, this is the tip of the iceberg. And if you go to visit, uh, for example, Humboldt Forum, you can uh, see uh, how many numbers, large numbers of artifacts are still on display and the numbers in the depots are breathtaking. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the Humboldt Forum because a while back they did repatriate some of the looted Benin bronzes that had been taken and they sent this collection back to Nigeria. And in its place, they've put films, replicas, uh, they've discussed the involvement of indigenous communities. Does this actually constitute the right approach, in your opinion, uh, especially mm. as someone who specializes in this field? Yeah, I mean, I'm not really a specialist on restitution. Um, I have to admit, obviously, that's one of the demands. Just to make clear, I mean, the Benin bronzes had not been obtained in the context of German colonialism. So they had been robbed by the British army. These bronzes, hundreds of them, did wind up on the international art market and so they were obtained in various pathways etc also by german institutions and collectors in terms of the way that humboldt forum is dealing with the collections now i mean they still have a lot of the bronzes by the way they're now on loan it hasn't been decided on when and how many will be ultimately returned to nigeria that is now the decision by a benin state government or the central government in Nigeria, uh, I think also because the new museum in Benin State hasn't been uh, completed. Um, but if you look around, you have huge numbers of collections from other former German colonies, uh, what is today Tanzania, Cameroon, for example. Until very recently, they still displayed the Ngonzo statue from Cameroon, which is a sacred object, but they nevertheless did put it on display even though that religion forbids the public seeing the statue. Uh, ultimately, I think it has been returned, but what they have on display there from German former colonies, but uh, from others as well, is already quite disturbing. We don't even know what they hold in their depots, as I said. And their way of curating the exhibit now shows a large amount of insecurity. You can see that they are not really clear on how to stage this and how to address these themes. So um, they're uncomfortable. They are super uncomfortable. I mean, we had some of the curators also, uh, you know, moderate the tour with us. And you can see they're walking on eggshells and they're coming up with sort of postmodern ways of framing or curating the blanks, the voids, uh, the discomfort. But uh, nevertheless, it's interesting to see that it's very auto-focused in a way. They are displaying their own discomfort rather than maybe bringing in African curators or really engaging in an exchange with cultural makers, doers uh, from the continent to come up with a solution or to ultimately be proactive and also let go of these objects, uh, whether somebody has requested their return or not. Well, it's interesting you mentioned that kind of curation because, as you said earlier, you and a team are involved with trying to bring that more informed curation to Germany and to Berlin. Can you tell me a little little bit about your decolonial remembrance culture in the city, how it's being received, and also if you can speak to the Looking Back Museum? Actually, um, I had the privilege of conceptualizing decoloniale memory culture in the city since 2018 together with colleagues 
and then we launched the project in 2020. It's a five-year model project financed by the Federal Cultural Foundation and uh, the Senate for Culture in Europe, Berlin. It is a pilot on various levels. Um, so it's a collaborative project by three NGOs, Berlin Postcolonial, the Initiative of Black People in Germany, ISD, and uh, my association, Each One Teach One, EYOTO, in cooperation with the foundation of the City Museum of Berlin. So it's trying out uh, new forms of collaboration uh, between civil society, critical civil society, and mainstream institutions in a way where the civil society actors hold the majority of votes. So ultimately, the content uh, and the direction of the project is completely in the hands of civil society actors. So we developed the project also in an expertise-based way. ISD had a lot of experience around the curation of collaborative exhibits. And so I'll come to that in a minute regarding the Trepto exhibit that you just mentioned. So in a way, ISD is responsible for that together with Berlin Postcolonial because they did the very first one before Decoloniale existed in collaboration already. And then Berlin Postcolonial is uh, handling the digital map that is sort of the platform, digital platform of the project. And each one teach one Yoto is uh, handling the discursive and performative parts of the project. So the festival, the artist residency, the annual one, as well as the think tank series that I'm curating. Now the reception, we get a lot of acknowledgement. Um, it's a very network-based project, so we also make sure that we engage with various other actors in the scene, critical civil society, and a lot of black and POC initiatives. So it's not only the three NGOs I mentioned, but we make sure that we are as uh, participative as possible. In terms of uh, the exhibit, which was produced in collaboration with the District Museum of Tripto Köpenick. That was the first exhibit uh, the project did, but it was in a way in 2021, a revamped version of the original exhibit. And it is an ongoing exhibit, so it's not just uh, for a couple of months, it's actually there on a continuous basis, so you can go anytime you feel like it. And the resonance is really, really good. I mean, from local actors, uh, as well as from visitors and cultural practitioners. And it's a small exhibit. It focuses on the uh, trade fair of 1896 held here in Berlin, what is now East Berlin. But also it had a colonial exhibit where representatives from the former German colonies in Africa were put on exhibit. So ultimately it was a human zoo. And uh, the exhibit works very closely with these 160 biographies of Africans who were brought to Berlin, trying to give them their dignity back, you know, working, researching their biographies, also using some of the images that were obtained by colonial doctors who did racial science. However, uh, our agency, our art agency, did actually recolorize them with artificial intelligence to re, um, reproduce these images uh, give them the tint back of the clothing people were wearing and re-staging uh, their skin tones and their hair, etc., etc. We are doing one collaborative exhibit per year, so I really urge you to go and have a look at it. Well, definitely. Is it enough, though? I mean, do you think that there needs to be more of an effort uh, for, let's say, students in German schools? They do have to go see things related to the Holocaust, whether it's, uh, you know, museums or concentration camps. That sort of thing doesn't happen for German colonialism, at least that I'm aware of. Um, should they be taught this in school? What should they be taught that they aren't being taught now? Yeah, I mean, colonial history is not part of the curriculum. If you find it, I mean, obviously we have a federal system, so the school books are not the same all over Germany. It's uh, in the responsibility of the individual states. However, we know that colonial history if it shows up in a short paragraph, is usually nostalgic and adheres a lot to the uh, civilizing mission still. So yeah, obviously there's a lot of work to do. I mean, and Germany is just starting now and the pressure came from civil society. 
So now we can see we are in a phase where slowly it's starting to sink in with politicians, with administrators, etc., that something needs to be done. But it is also clear that it has to be a parallel process. Uh, you have to look at all segments of a society and so at the curricula, at the media, at the economic and political structures that colonialism has produced, at epistemic questions, what constitutes knowledge and what doesn't, at museums, at restitution, at racism and how it came about, how it was developed. So it's complex, it's complicated, and yeah, we are in the midst of it, and there is a lot of interest, but we're only at the very beginning of the whole process in Germany. And there's a lot of resistance. I mean, look at the renaming of streets that have been named after colonial perpetrators, for example. So, uh, yeah, we're at the very beginning, but I'm optimistic that things will move. Some people complain that offending colonial era figures, that taking them away, whether it's a name, whether it's a statue, uh, that it can go too far. Uh, one critic of a plan in Cologne to remove the Reitersdenkmal or equestrian monument on the Deutzer Bridge noted that, quote, this is German history, even if it has produced problematic personalities. Don't Kennedy, Bismarck and Charlemagne have corpses in the cellar, quote unquote. What do you say to people who are like, this is too much? You know, people should just have a tougher skin, if you will. Again, it sounds like it is possible to sort of quantify when it's okay to do something, transform something, change something, or when it's too much. So it seems to be very much based on an individual sentiment. And uh, that is not enough. That's not an argument. When National Socialism was toppled, it was very clear none of these statues can be displayed in the public sphere, street names, Uh, that refer to Goebbels or Hitler, etc., etc., need to be changed. Colonial history, colonialism was a history of violence. I'm not the judge of every single statue in Cologne or elsewhere in Germany, whether it's a do or don't. That needs to be looked at. It needs to be discussed in various circles. But to start with, it needs to be evaluated. It needs to be discussed on a broad societal basis. And it needs to be made clear that the sentiments, the thinking, the research, uh, and the participation of people that suffered from colonial history, or rather uh, today still from its consequences, need to be considered. They are uh, citizens of this country, and so it cannot be dealt with on an individual level. This is more complex and more urgent. Do you see a link between the rise in racism in Germany that we've heard about more cases, there have been more recordings uh, by ministries that track this, and the reluctance here to address Germany's colonial past? Absolutely, yeah, there is a connect there. I mean, there hasn't been a rise in racism, I think. It might appear as such because more people record it, the communities uh, have solidified and are more vocal. Each one, each one, for example, published the Afro census, you know, focusing on anti-black racism because we didn't have statistics. And we wanted to make sure that also our work and our activism should not be based on individual or collective sentiments, but rather on hard numbers as well. Ultimately, there is a big resistance to own up to German history, that is correct, and also acknowledging that there is a lot of structural racism and uh, thus also a lot of structural anti-black racism and it's linked to colonial history because what colonialism needed was in order to legitimize itself, needed to create a narrative in terms of creating a hierarchy and uh, sort of positioning uh, whiteness on the very top of the pyramid and then everybody else in various constellations uh, on the bottom. And it served as a legitimization of this brutality and uh, of colonial violence, yeah. Are there any changes in narrative or anything else that you see that gives you hope that Germany will come to terms with its colonial past? I think so. I mean, some state governments as well as some people in the federal government and know what time it is. And so there is an inclination to address uh, these issues. And it comes from the pressure that's being placed from the outside and also from representatives from the former German colonies 
as well as from civil society. So the discourse is already information uh, around restitution, around anti-black racism, especially since 2020. And before that, Germany thought that racism was happening uh, overseas. There's still a lot of resistance. But um, I mean, I tend to be always optimistic um, because otherwise it would be difficult to get out of bed. As Nadia and others have noted, the Humboldt Forum is no stranger to controversy. It was in the early 90s when some rich German industrialists came up with plans to tear down the former East German parliament building on the site and build instead a replica of the Baroque palace that had stood there before. The plans and exorbitant costs were criticized over the years, never mind the debate over the many thousands colonial-era artifacts from Africa filling its exhibition halls. Hamann Patzinger, who heads the Prussian Cultural Heritage Foundation, was among those who oversaw the construction of the new museum. He was interviewed by our senior producer, Dina El-Sayed. How has the Humboldt Forum changed its approach to colonial-era exhibits since Benedict Savoie resigned from its advisory board in July 2017 over the institution's unwillingness to investigate the colonial past of its collections? Well, this was a pity that she resigned, especially in the year 2017. We had a workshop with this group, with uh, Jürgen Zimmerer and Andreas Eckert, how to deal with the colonial collections from Africa. I think the topic of colonial context of the collection gradually became more and more important. I think this started in 2015, when Norbert Lammert, the former president of the German parliament, for the first time as a representative politician of Germany, spoke about a genocide uh, with the Herero and Nama. And I think this changed... Uh, the attitude, this made more conscious in the German population that we have a colonial past, which is uh, connected with many institutions, not only museums, and we have to deal with that. And then gradually, when I see what in the meantime happened in the last year's restitutions, which we did, many cooperations, I think it was really a radical change of the position of a museum, which is not always so easy for a museum, because a museum tries to keep for other generations what it has in these holdings. But on the other hand, of course, it's uh, fundamental for our understanding that things which we hold in our collections should become in the collections legally. Do you believe enough has been done to diversify the different structures of the Humboldt Forum? For example, its advisory board. When I was one of the founding directors of the Humboldt Forum between 2015 and 18, we had specialists from all over the world. I think this was well done. For the moment, there is not an advisory board in the Humboldt Forum. And I also have to say, the Humboldt Forum is a, a separate institution from us, from the Prussian Cultural Heritage. So our museums are part of the Humboldt Forum, in a way. So it makes it a little bit complicated. What is important for the future that we do not only cooperate with our colleagues from all over the world, that we produce diversity also in the staff, in our staff. We had once for some years a curator from China, and I think this worked quite well. And I think to get the perspective of others into our collection, into our institution, is very important for the future. Thanks for clarifying. Can you share with us some of your exhibits that address the colonial past of Germany in Africa and elsewhere? For example, Cameroon. The Cameroon Gallery is quite important because Cameroon was a German colony and uh, the influence of German colonial power in Cameroon uh, is addressed. Then we have in the Pacific, of course, also in Namibia. Namibia is a very important country for our colonial past because of the genocide on the Herero and Nama. And we have a very good cooperation. We restituted last year first objects and we continue to cooperate in doing research on the collections and then to decide together which objects should go back and which should keep here. And another important uh, cooperation partner for us is uh, Tanzania, which was also former German East Africa. And we start now to work on objects from the Maji Maji War, which was also a genocide. At the same time as in Namibia with the Herero and Nama, uh, it was an insurrection from the local people against the German colonial power. And then between 200 and 300,000 people have been killed in this context, so this is also a kind of genocide, and nobody in Germany knows about that outside the specialists of colonial history. So we have a very nice cooperation with uh, the university and the National Museum in Dar es Salaam. With these objects, we will now set up an exhibition in two galleries in the Humboldt Forum, tell the story in Suaheli, German and English. Suaheli is the first language, 
And then we show it, because also for our Tanzanian colleagues, it's important that the German people or people who come to Berlin learn about the Maji Maji War, and then these objects go back forever to Tanzania. The property will be transferred already to Tanzania, but it's important to show this part also of our history, of our difficult history, and then the objects go back. So these are very important uh, examples of how to deal, how to address together with historians and curators from the countries of origin these difficult topics. This leads me to the next question about how these stories are told. An article last fall in The Guardian stated, quote, Panels of text next to the objects go to some lengths to tell the story of how the Benin bronzes were looted by British soldiers and sailors on a punitive expedition to Benin City in 1897 and later sold in Europe and North America. The words acquisitions and collections are only used in inverted commas, but the violence involved is only hinted at. Directly conveying the ruthless bloodshed amid the all-commanding halls is a risk the curators were not willing to take." End quote. What do you think about what The Guardian wrote, and how do you respond to that criticism? Well, I think it's a little bit strange to do such a criticism as we transferred 514 objects to Nigeria already. We are only showing loans and we are quite clearly addressing the colonial force, the violence which happened. We tell the story of the looting of Benin City. We also tell the stories about uh, why Benin became so rich, the involvement of Benin in the slave trade. And we also designed the two galleries together with our colleagues from Benin City and from Abuja, from Nigeria. This is a subjective feeling you may have, and this is fine for us. Important is to clearly tell the stories how the objects came to Germany and how we, and this is the first gallery of the Benin galleries, we, in the whole gallery we are telling the process of restitution. And I think this is what is important for the people now. One can, one can express critique or not, but I think it's an example which other countries in Europe still have to follow. I mean, 514 objects which we restituted to Nigeria, where we transferred the property, I think there's a really, really great step and big step and right step forward. And in the political declaration, which was already signed beginning of July between the, the ministers from Nigeria and Germany, it was clearly expressed also when we traveled together with our foreign minister, Annalena Baerbock, to Nigeria uh, and in the speeches of, of everybody, also our cultural minister, Claudia Roth, it was clearly said how ruthless this was and it was wrong to bring the objects to Germany or to Europe as a whole, it's not only a German problem, and it was also wrong to wait so long, but now it's the right to bring them back. You did mention some of the collections on display, and I just wanted to ask which ones are not intended to be returned and why? For us it's clear we are returning two kinds of objects or groups of objects. Those who have been looted, taken by force, stolen, whatever, like the Benin, like uh, others, the Majimaji objects, and another group of objects when they are extremely important for the identity of the societies of origin. We already decided to give back the Ngonso. This is for a community near the Nigerian border from Cameroon. And they want to have this object back because they say it's our goddess and it's for the identity, the phone. There's a kind of king of this community. He was already here some months ago and, and saw the Ngonso and we will give it back. To Namibia we gave back objects, not only from the genocide, from the violence, this is clear. But they want it back from us and this is a very nice example of how we have to cooperate and how we are cooperating. They studied for several months before the pandemic in our Namibia collection in the museum. And then this group from Bintuk, they said, well, in Bintuk we have several thousand objects in our museum. We do not want to get back things which just are doubling what we already have. We want to have back what is missing. And they selected, as a first step, 23 objects, which have been collected before Namibia was German colony, by missionaries and, and traders, and these are Muppets from children and parts of dresses. And both are so important because they illustrate the gradual change from the traditional dressing to a more and more European influence dress. And these are from the 1860s, 1870s. And I said, well, we do not have nothing from these early years. And this was the decision we said, if we give it back, we give back history. And now these objects, we brought them back in May of last year, and with these objects in Ochibarango, a city north of Windhoek, they founded a museum of Namibian fashion. So these objects, they become productive, 
creative in a way because Namibian designers, artists, uh, are now fashion makers are now working with these objects and taking it as a source of inspiration. And I think this is the way we have to cooperate and we want to work together. And this will be the most important task for this so-called ethnological museum for the future. They only have a future if we work together with the specialists from the countries of origin, from the source societies also, and develop the stories together and decide together how we should share this heritage between the countries of origin and the European museums. And at the end, they all want that objects keep staying because world heritage has to be shown everywhere. But after a process of research, provenance research, developing common narratives, and then deciding together how to deal with this heritage. This brings me to my last question, which you touched upon right now. But I want you to expand more on what you think critics fail to understand about the Humboldt Forum and its mission and what it's trying to accomplish. I think the critiques, the criticism is very complicated. First of all, it was the reconstruction of a palace. A palace which has not really something to do with colonialism, but it was a period of colonialism. Second, it was such a national grand projet. Everybody expected everything. that we, The Humboldt Forum, 10, 15 years ago, when there have been the first debates about that, should solve the problems of the world, which is a quite high expectation. I think it's ridiculous. We should start working and see what we can do for the world, but not trying to solve the world. So, so many expectations were covering the Humboldt Forum, and also the insight or the understanding that the colonial path of the collection has to be a basic point of the contents of the Humboldt Forum in the first years, and I'm including myself, was not really addressed. Uh, I edited in 2009, together with Thomas Flirl, he was the former PDS cultural senator of Berlin, and together a book about the Humboldt Forum, with many voices, many left-wing people also. The world colonialism is not even appearing so it's not only us, the museums, in general, in the German society, this was not a topic which was addressed. And I think in this 10 years or 12, 13 years since then, we learned a lot and developed a lot. And I would really love that people understand that we are willing to change, that what we are doing to make this change visible, uh, and that we are on a completely new track. Uh, to be criticized is never very, very, very funny. But on the other hand, it pushes you forward also. And now I see that the criticism is much better than if nobody would have been interested in this project because it has a potential. It has the potential to redesign, to reshape our relation with the Global South, together with the Global South. And this is the great challenge. My last interview, which I conducted via Zoom, is with German Parliament member Helge Lindt. The Social Democrat is his parliamentary group's spokesman for cultural affairs and media. He is adamant that Germany do a better job recognizing and atoning for its colonial era actions. Because I think it's a key question that Germany as a colonial, post-colonial state and society is able and willing to give up control because you see in the debates that even people who understand it is necessary to talk about the German guilt, German responsibility, referring to colonialism, they still said it's our rules. We decide how we do it. We dictate the way we do it. It depends on our museums and our understanding. So the tendency was and sometimes still is, to repeat colonialism. So colonialism 2.0, to say, okay, we did something wrong, but now we do it better, but we tell you how we do it. And this is, in the end, nothing else than new colonialism. And that's why I think giving up control is important, and I hope that this new coalition is trying to do it. But we are still in the very beginning. We say that we develop a whole concept with all different aspects. That's restitution. This is human remains. This is uh, the question of art, the idea of ethnology and of our social anthropological um, museums, but also in education that we need locations to provoke a culture 
of memory because it's not established in the broad society. It's something which is very concentrated on interesting people in the cultural scene and activists. And I see a number of steps, but I still think that we're not radical enough. Well, that actually brings up the next question. Germany and Namibia's agreement from 2021, which Namibia has yet to sign, would have Germany making its first apology for the 20th century genocide of the Herero and Nama people and funding more than 1 billion euros in development projects as compensation. But the Herero and Nama representatives recently sued in a Namibian court and declared the agreement illegal because they felt that control of it was in the hands of the Germans, that the local parliament hadn't really ruled on this, and that the descendants of the victims were not being compensated. What do you think of the agreement and subsequent lawsuit? Does this go to what you're saying about Germany needing as part of its mitigation of colonialism to give up control? This example is... um Unfortunately, a very good example of this kind of uh, unholy combination of effects. One effect, it's intentional. It has something to do with agency that Germany, in the case of Namibia, of the Herero Namer, still is too much in this having control, dominating, controlling the process. We do not say very openly it was genocide. For many years, we were told the German government avoided to use the word genocide. I said it is genocide from the after-war point of view, but they were afraid what could be the judicial effects, so it was not very respectful to the victims of this genocide. And there's a problem that the attitude of the German government was we have to speak to the official representation, and this is the state, the government. But the problem is that it was neglecting the perspective of the people who were the victims or the groups of the genocide. But it's not just a decision of the court of judicial processes. It should be a political question. And this is a tragedy. We did not really have a political debate in the heart of our democracy, in parliament, in the government, what is our responsibility, what is our guilt towards Namibia? We had it now towards the situation in Iraq. We are debating about genocide and the situation in Ukraine. But it's really, I have to say, a shame that we still haven't done the same towards Namibia. And we need it. And, and so I can understand that they say this billion it's not, of course, it's not enough, by far not enough. And probably we would have sent a billion anyway to support the development, to support economy. So it's not even a symbolic acknowledgement of our responsibility. We should have done much better indeed. You wrote in 2019 that a German pledge to actively approach the descendants of the rightful owners of art objects from the colonial era and to return those objects needed to be structured in concrete terms. In other words, not just words, but action. How does that happen? Yes and no. <laughs> Very German uh, com- compromise uh, answer. We have a number of best practice. We have the situation of uh, Nigeria and the the many bronzes and all that tension with a lot of um, media discussion and debate. But there's a lack of structure. And there are so many, there are thousands or hundreds of thousands of cases, and we do not have a real system. I can give you an example. I have a case of human remains from um, a first Australian in my hometown, Wuppertal. She was presented like a slave in the zoo and in a circus. So it was pure racism, presenting people in, in certain clothes to maximize a colonial image of privileged and minor races and presenting people like animals in, in a zoo. And this person, um, she died because of the circumstances in my hometown, Wuppertal, and now we we have been fighting for a number of years to restitute the human remains from Wuppertal to her family and the people who feel connected to her. And there's not really an infrastructure to say how we do it. 
How do we finance a step? How can people from Australia in this case, or from uh, Togo, or from Namibia, or from whatever country we take, how can they come to Germany? They can um, send some people to see the situation, maybe to see the graveyard, to speak to some responsible person. And we need an organized process, like the um, restitution of uh, art stolen by the Nazis regime. In this case, it's better, but it's still not good. We can't just do projects and uh, single cases. I think we need a structural, systematic approach. And this is beginning, but it's not established yet. So why do you think German museums are largely reluctant to return artifacts, be they colonial or not? For example, the Pergamon Gate or the Nefertiti Bust. Well, we have some good examples, some museums in Hamburg or Rothenbaum or in Leipzig. And even in the Humboldt Forum, many people understood that the idea of, of museum has to change radically. We're not allowed to dominate and control the process because it's not our decision. If the people who were the victims or the societies, if it's a state or family, whoever, they are allowed and they have the right to say, we want it back. It's not our business and it's not our right to say under which circumstances, but we still have in a number of museums the idea it's become a part of our culture and our history and we build wonderful museums and we know how to do it. But it's not our right to decide about that. If um, some people say, or if the country decides, we do not want restitution in this case, it's okay. But it's not the right of Germany to decide it and not the right of the museum. But they are afraid of losing their identity because their identity is built on this history of violence and of this history of crimes. And they sometimes use bypasses and they say it's not really clear if it was a crime. We have to make a lot of research. And of course, you can do research, but a, a research is sometimes an excuse not to restitute and not to do anything substantial. And this is a problem. And of course, they say we do not have enough money to do this research. So we can't say if it was a colonial crime or not, but it's quite logic. And then Benedict Savoy and others uh, say it correctly. It was in a system of violence and injustice. So there's no doubt that this was not a normal deal of selling art, of uh, transcultural process. It was in the name of violence and dictatorship and colonialism, full stop. You earlier mentioned Germany's assertiveness when it comes to acknowledging Nazi atrocities and related reparations, especially after the Holocaust or Shoah. Why is it harder for Germans to confront their colonial past? Now, different reasons. One reason is it took a long time. And uh, after World War II, in the 50s, even in the 60s, a huge number of uh, people in the administration, sometimes in our law system, 80-90% were still Nazis. They kept their jobs and there was no really will to think about it, to develop a culture of memory. It developed in the 70s, 80s and 90s. And then we actually changed the curricula at school and all that. So it took some time. It had to be forced by many and it was not permanently driven By the state, it was driven by society and by artists and by scientists. So it's a kind of repetition, again, the same kind of delay. On the other hand, the Shoah, this genocide, was such a break of civilization, was such an unbelievable process of inhumanity, of murder and systematic people. It was the most extreme form of genocide, that still we have the fear that if we do the same with colonialism, we put it in relation and that we lose 
the memory of the Shoah and that we compare it with each other. Many people in the political area say we can't compare the Shoah, the genocide of millions of Jews with the colonial process. And others say if you just concentrate on the Shoah and say this is the only way to see German responsibility and guilt, you're historically incorrect because there's also the colonial history and there was also a colonial aspect in the Shoah. And this is a very strong, very strong debate in science and the political world. And um, I think the, the approach is wrong because it's not either or, it's both. There are some techniques in the genocide uh, concerning the Herero Nama who were used later in the Shoah. So there was a development and there was a certain tendency how to deal with people, how to build instruments, structure in ideology and also in, in practice how to kill people who were uh, seen as inferior. And then I think this uncertainty is blocking the process of a real consequent system of restitution and of accepting this post-colonial image. And the, the third element is that there's a strong legend to say Germany was a good colonial state. There was United Kingdom and Belgium, French. They were cruel. But the Germans, they weren't cruel. They were the good ones. And this idea is still, I, I even see it in Parliament. It's a lack of knowledge and it's um, trying to push the responsibility to other nations. Some politicians even say, look, the, the German colonial people, they tried to deal with conflicts. They uh, exported civilization and all this bullshit. So you're saying that Germany has a ways to go in addressing this issue. Helga, what are the consequences of Germany not doing a better job in coming to terms with its colonial past, both at home and internationally? The, the good thing is that we have a number of activists and group and um, initiatives in civic society who are pushing us. And it was reinforced by the Black Lives Matter movement. Black Lives Matter had an enormous effect to getting more conscious of what we did. But still, it's not a debate in the whole society. We should have a really big symbolic event in the heart of our democracy, in the Bundestag, saying it was genocide in Namibia and it was our responsibility and we have a cruel, violent, colonial and post-colonial heritage. And it's very important. We need such a symbolic moment. It's not enough to say we have restitution A and restitution B and we send some human remains back where we need from our leaders this message. And it must be absolutely clear. I think that would be a game changer. And do you think that will happen? I think it must be our target. It's absolutely necessary. And the second thing is that we do not have a real debate in our white society about racism. Activists talk about racism, but if we debate about structural racism in administration, in authorities, in our police system, we have the typical reaction, no, we have no problem with institutional uh, or structural racism. Many say it's discrimination against foreigners, but they avoid to use the word racism. And this is reflecting that we still do not have accepted as a whole society that we have a colonial and post-colonial history. So we need to speak openly about sheer racism and use the word. And it's not a question of identity politics and not a question of some activists. It's a question of everyday life because people make this experience in everyday life and that they have this experience is based on a history. So we need this debate about racism and it has to change the way we organize school. People learn about the Shoah, learn about socialism, communist dictatorship, but they do not really learn a lot about colonialism and the German colonial history. And we have to 
bring it into the local regional governments. And we need to establish it in the way we finance culture, we, we make museums and so on. Because if you look on the local level, you have some great examples in Berlin, but in normal smaller cities, it's not a scene. We are still repeating colonial patterns People are fighting if the name of their street is changed because many streets in Germany are named after people who were deeply involved in the colonial process as governors or as a policeman or in the army. So they do not really see why should we change uh, the name of our street because it's fundamentally wrong. They see it as something which is uncomfortable. This is, my, I think, the most important thing to force people to be confronted with this history of injustice and violence and to understand that our attitude today towards refugees, towards black people are based on this history. And this is probably the thing which is blocking it. Many people are afraid of accepting it because they think, oh, we have to change so much and it will be uncomfortable. And it, it will hurt. And so let's avoid it. But in the end, I think it will not hurt. It will enable us to act more freely and to understand things much better than we do at the moment. That was MP Helge Lindt wrapping up our episode. We also heard from historian Hermann Patzinger and cultural activist Nadia Ofuete Alazard. I'm your host, Soraya Sarhadi Nelson, and thank you for joining me and senior producer Dina El Sayed on Common Ground Berlin. Our social media editor is Stefano Montali. Common Ground Berlin is funded by a grant administered by the German Ministry for Economic Affairs and Climate Action, and our partner is the German Marshall Fund of the United States. All of our episodes are available wherever you get your podcasts, and you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at CG Berlin Podcast. We'd love for you to write a review if you are on Apple or subscribe to and rate our podcast on Spotify. You can also check out past episodes on our website, commongroundberlin.com. Music